Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Hello and welcome to our fitness family around the world. And thank you for joining us on another episode of the Idea Fit Pro Show. I'm your host, Sandy Webster, and I'm very excited to jump into our conversation today to catch up with the legendary Peter Twist. This man has not only helped to shape our industry over the past 25 years, he also has profoundly impacted Ideas Path and that of countless fitness professionals, clients, and athletes. He has been a shining star, mentor, and beacon of positive energy for so many of us, including me. Pete has held many leadership roles in our great industry. In a CV with too many achievements to detail for such a brief intro, here are about a few bullets from his highlights reel. Pete is a sports scientist, an academic researcher, a coach to professional and everyday athletes, a functional trainer, an author and subject matter expert who has tirelessly shared his knowledge around the globe. He is an entrepreneur, industry disruptor, and contrarian. When everyone else is zigging, Twister is almost always zagging. Topping the list of his leadership traits are his boldness to blaze unique paths and his generous spirit. Once he does the heavy lifting and clears the way, he circles back to the trailhead and pulls others along with him. He is a builder of bridges and a true visionary. Stay with us as you're in for loads of inspiration from one of our best and brightest. Welcome, Peter Twist. We got Twister on the pro show today. All right, all right. Great to be here and always great to join you, Sandy. Thank you so much for carving a slice of your day to join me and all of our listeners today. Um, so uh, you're welcome. My honor. Just to, to kick things off, um, you were among the first subject matter experts I began working with at IDEA 20 years ago. Um, and I know so many fit pros have taken your sessions at IDEA events and at workshops around the world, not just at IDEA events. Um, it's hard to believe anyone in our community might not know who you are, but for the benefit of the uninitiated, would you yeah. please start by giving us a high level view of your professional fitness journey and just kind of give us the digest version of what led you from point A to where you are today? Wow, point A to today. Yeah, I'd, I'd be thrilled to. And I, I say I'm a physical education teacher. And uh, I set out to uh, study towards that. And then ultimately ended up creating different environments to still do the same similar things within. And so I diverted from being a high school teacher to working towards being a university professor and university varsity ice hockey coach. Um, and in attending conferences, met people uh, from football who were strength and conditioning coaches of football, the first uh, sport with strength and conditioning coaches. And of course, your individual sports like track and rowing were the head coach, were the trainers. They were working on their athletes' speed and power and had them in the weight room. That really interested me a lot. So I pivoted. Uh, to a master's in coaching science to become a strength and conditioning coach and also studied sports psych, got hired into the uh, UBC, University of British Columbia, was their strength coach, NHL after that, Vancouver Canucks, NHL ice hockey for 11 years. And uh, because that's only a seven day a week job, I also started a business <laughs> partway along. I was getting requests to take care of uh, athletes in the off season and other sport athletes. So I started high performance camps, seasonal, uh, where I would train and develop hockey, pro hockey players, but athletes from all other sports. And uh, that developed into 12 uh, training facilities in four countries. And with that aside, which people with idea and idea can appreciate, um, I had a separate path that was around education. I do believe in building the field, helping set up others for success, not just my clients, but all of us. Mm -hmm. So I started writing education courses uh, with at the time was a differentiated methodology. We were um, uh, we launched the industry's first functional training certifications. Uh, and the year 2000, I think it was, 
And so we had education courses plus products, which are the tools you use to practice your craft, which were quite odd at the time. And so we kind of took off like a rocket ship there uh, <laughs> since that was new and people had the epiphany, this helps us move. This is our human vehicle. We're training to move, not just for appearance. And went on a good ride to 33 countries uh, with the education and products. And then after that chapter, it was more um, working, partnering directly with bigger organizations. So I partnered with Under Armour as their uh, global education partner, IMG the same, uh, the China Olympic uh, Committee to help modernize the summer winter Olympic training and uh, rehab. Spent about five years with my team for checking China and brought Idea over mm-hmm. to set up Idea China. So for Idea China, initially it was one person, that was me, and then uh, started to pull people on board. So that was a fun experience. And um, that I, that's where it's taken me today. And then, uh, boom, we entered COVID and here we are. Wow. So and- you... You have not been busy at all for the past 25, <laughs> 25 years. You're you're one of these classic underachievers, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, well, so somewhere in there, I had time to train myself and have fun and uh, spend time in nature and party a little bit and, <laughs> yeah. and learn, learn things outside my industry, too. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, a fulfilling path for sure. But I, I do believe in... Um, whatever level it's at, you know, creating our path. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the overview. And um, yeah, you bet. <laughs> I, you know, I usually request a list of talking points from my guests. And of course, you know, I asked for five and I think you gave me 10. <laughs> but because uh, you always have so much on your mind and, um, you know, just uh, you're a very thoughtful person. But the two at the top of your list were resi- resiliency and adaptability. And I think those are two areas that many out there, um, not just in our industry, but in the world, have actively grappled with and worked on during this pandemic. Um, So, um, you know, part of your story is that after two decades as a brick and mortar training facility for, you know, training regular clients to elite and pro athletes, as you mentioned, You closed your doors of your really successful twist conditioning training facilities. This is like your flagship. Um, So I'm curious, how did you lean into being resilient and and adaptable to make this monumental decision? Um, I mean, how did this impact you, your team, your clients, uh, both personally and professionally? Yeah, well, while leaning into it, you know, with uh, with resiliency, and so it's the one thing, a great difficulty and challenges. I think one thing that binds all of us, and everyone has difficulty, everyone has challenges in their life uh, and career, right? So we all have that, and relative to each of us, whatever we're dealing with is, you know, it's intense usually. Um, but people have different adaptability and different strategies and different experience and um, not right or wrong. It's just the continuum we graduate along, but someone today is losing their home and they may deal with that. Like that's a three out of 10 level of stress and someone else stubs their toe and that's a 10 out of 10 for them. Mm -hmm. And they're still meeting friends to complain about it two years later. Right. And so Resiliency is a skill. So we have empathy that it's real for everyone. It's not a right or wrong, but uh, there's experience and uh, to go into that. So, um, you know, I've had the opportunity. I've been around long enough and involved enough things and the way life goes. Um, sometimes karma, I actually believe in it. And other times it's like, what's, what's this karma thing? Because I've had some intense and significant challenges which gave me the opportunity to reach down deeper and develop strengths and uh, shift my perspective and the lens I see through, et cetera, see through. So when COVID came, um, I was disappointed that our governments didn't see this industry as part of the solution and talked about us like we're part of the problem and need to be shut down. Mm -hmm. I don't view health the same as the government that runs a sickness economy. But that's another subject matter. Um, 
As far as the challenge, the difficulty itself, um, it certainly wasn't pleasant. And everyone should know, like I like everyone can get overwhelmed and upset and sad and disappointed and angry. And um, you can get the wind. They definitely knocked the wind out of me, Sandy. But as far as the decision, uh, you know, I, li I listen to my gut, which I don't think is a gut instinct. It's a gut brain. It's pretty smart. And uh, and it informs my uh, my head brain. And my my analysis was. Okay, uh, straight up. Um, my analysis is that I just, for different reasons, I couldn't see the North American population coming together in 2020, respectfully, cohesively to commit to a game plan to see if we can uh, get through this as best we can. Every, lots of people were just going to do whatever and there was going to be all kinds of drama and negativity and stuff throwing on this versus coming together. So in my, whether in my assessment or prediction of that, I anticipated COVID would perpetuate and go on a long time. Um, I also saw that, you know, Hey, I, I've had business for 25 years and all of a sudden it's illegal for me to operate because apparently I'm part of the problem <laughs> that the government needs to close down. And so with that, that, those knowledge there that the government's willing to close me down, open, close, restrict, et cetera. Um, number one, that's kind of like being a dog on a leash getting yanked around, which I don't enjoy. And number two, I can't create good business around that. You know, I, I'm not selling someone a cup of coffee who happens to walk in today on my street corner. I'm marketing people from around the world to come and join us six months from now in a high performance camp and accepting their money. You know, I, I need certainty mm -hmm. for that. Um, and number three, I, I didn't, I don't think North America is going to come together. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's not going to go smoothly. And here we are. And that has proved to be true. So I'm happy with my decision, but my decision really was, look, um, let's say this goes on for two years, two years in our industry, I'm staying in our industry. I'm in this long term and I'm going to keep coaching, training, teaching and so on. But in the types of businesses I had for me at my stage, my age and, and how I want to live, what, what could I for two years get through that? Yes. Yes, I could. Would I have all the years and effort and, and financial investment? Uh, would I protect that? Yes. There's a valuation of your company with Lyft that you're planning on selling at some point, and that's what you live off. Um, uh, would I preserve that? Yes. But at the end of two years, what's my uh, championship? Like, what's my best case scenario? Surviving. Mm -hmm. Surviving. And is that two years going to be full of positivity and abundance and joy? No. It's going to be terrible. Right. And so I don't mind doing terrible to get through to a good result, um, but it's a choice. And I just said, what if I took those two years? What if I took those two years instead of being shut down, open, shut down, open by the government and all the other North American chaos around this? Uh, and I applied all my energy and effort and focus to something else that the government can't touch. Mm -hmm. In two years is my best case scenario. Is that my potential to survive? No, it's a, it's abundance and it's, it's more positive impact and it's enjoying creating and the experience. So um, to lean into it, I thought this through at least a hundred times <laughs> because it's a massive decision. It basically like erases everything. And every time I thought it through, I came to the same conclusion. I just kept thinking it through. And uh, so I pulled the trigger and and just closed down and started new. And you're you're feeling good about the decision. It's it seemed I mean, you you look fantastic. You look happy. You sound happy. It, it seems like, uh, you know, you didn't take it lightly. I mean, this is your life's work and the life's work of a, a lot of people who worked for you. So, I yes. mean, that's, that's uh, heavy stuff. It's, but it, uh, it, it, it was devastating. It's a, it's a tragic loss. It's, yeah. um, and uh, I feel great. 
<laughs> I feel great in the situation that we were presenting with for me as one person, it was the best decision and, and I feel great. And now today's a new day and today's about making today great and, and moving forward there. Um, and I like that I'm free to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I'll succeed or fail based on my ability. And right. that's very fair. That's right. all I want. Absolutely. We're, we're going to dig into more of, you know, the direction you're, you're heading. But first, I wanted to, yeah. while we're on the topic of resilience and adaptability, yes. um, I just wanted to touch on another um, facet of your life um, that, oh. you know, th- that you've you've spoken very publicly about. Um, um, but, you know, re- resiliency and adaptability seem like really familiar com- companions to you, especially over the past 10 years, not only with this decision, but this is a time span in which you also were diagnosed with stage four head and neck cancer, and you literally battled to hang on to your life. Um, what would you say are the differences between adapting and finding resilience to deal with COVID-19's impact on your business? versus finding the mental and physical resilience and adaptability to save your own life really is what it comes down to. Um, yeah, I'll, sh- I'll share that. And uh, when I did go through cancer, nobody knew about it. Um, and then I only kind of started talking about it after uh, I thought I was on the way to being successful and um, could give people that hope for themselves as well as I, I uh, started doing keynotes and noticed that got a lot of value from it they needed uh they needed the tools that i learned and the inspiration so you can't help but share what helps people um but uh straight to the point in my case um my first meeting my first oncologist i met with within the first five minutes was talking to me about palliative care Mm -hmm. you know thought my chances were zero so who wants a coach that doesn't believe that you even have a chance so he was fired after that first meeting and I found uh, a group that thought I had some kind of chance. And this is so important for the, for your uh, audience and the people they may train and coach and themselves. The reason that they thought I had a chance is because at the time, fortunately, I was my strongest and fittest ever. Mm-hmm. And, and even pursuing sport and training hard, you're building some kind of resiliency. You're building an I can do it attitude. So they thought energy, attitude, physical, uh, fitness, that um, I had more room to fall because I was starting higher up and they could bomb me with more radiation and be more aggressive in treatments. And I might be able to hang in there because it's going to kill the treatments are going to kill me while they're killing the tumors. So which one can outlast? Right. And uh, I'm here. So I did win, but I won by, I say, a thread. You, You don't have to. I didn't crush cancer. You know, I crawled across the finish line uh, and you don't have to crush your goals. You just have to like make stay in the game and make it through the finish line for anything in life. Um, in my case, Sandy, um, because it was head and neck, the inside of my your mucous membranes are very receptive to radiation. So the tumors get bombed, but then your mucous membranes that are moist in your face and mouth and neck they respond more favorably than the tumors, meaning you're burned up from the inside out. So suffice to say it was torture, it wasn't pleasant. It would be different if it was my foot or my quad or my shoulder, but the inside of your face and throat doesn't, it's not a nice experience. Um, I did have difficulty hanging in there. Mm. And uh, there's times, you know, um, I told the story where I had a stopwatch and set it for one, one minute and I yeah. committed to hanging in there for one minute. That's the level it was at. And I had enough resilience to fight for a minute and I just kept going. So compared to COVID, COVID's a walk in the park. Sure. Yeah. And there might be financial loss and I mean, my business is shut down. There's a financial cost, but I have my help. Um and I respect other people have lost people during COVID. So, you know, we're trying to keep the context of this conversation respectful of all that. Um, but in your question to me and my shoes, um, yeah, I, I can I can lose homes or lose my finances, lose my business. But in reality for COVID, I'm being asked to stay at home. And when I go out, I'm asked to put a mask on. Like, well, I, 
it's it's not a political issue it's a health issue and it's disgusting it got extrapolated as a political issue mm-hmm. right and i i wear sunglasses i wear a hat i wear a scarf <laughs> and uh, other people wear things on their face their neck their ears jewelry all kinds of things i don't know why all that's kind of cool fashion and a mask was difficult um, the level of drama around wearing a mask suggests the level of mental wellness and resiliency in the population. Because even if you, I don't like it, that's not my first choice I want to do, but that's not going to buckle me. It's not going to buckle me emotionally and mentally. Putting something over my mouth to walk into a store and out is not going to buckle me. So um, sitting at home, having uh, degraded finances and business and going out and having to wear a mask that's not difficult in the big scheme of things. That's my answer. Yeah. Wow, Pete. Thank you, first of all, for for sharing, you know, such that pers- really personal, just horrific journey you went through. And I'm so, so glad you did crawl across the finish line to be here with us today and into the future. Um, I'm just really, really grateful that you're that you're still with us. Um, you know, having observed your your post-cancer journey, I've been really thrilled to see you talk, walk the talk, you know, uh, living and, and living the your living style turned to be more of a, a holistic health message. You're super in tune with prevention versus sick care, as you already mentioned. Um, and also how focusing on nutrition, recovery, strength training, mindfulness, communing right, right. with nature daily can foster resilience. Um, so first of all, in, in your own words, how do you define holistic health? And then, um, you know, as pertains to our industry, do you see this as the direction we should be heading? Yeah, uh, thank you for that. And for, um, yeah, uh, previous to my cancer diagnosis, I did most things to the extreme. And, uh, and a friend, a friend uh, someone in one of the mentorships I was having and hosting up at my cabin up the fjord um, said, um, have, you ever, um, uh, have you ever thought about um, restoring and resting to the extreme? <laughs> you know, I know you like to push yourself to the extreme and you're willing to. Have you ever thought to restore to the extreme? And I'm like, you're speaking my language, uh, <laughs> which means do it well, do it right. well. Right. And what would that look like if you did it really well and got right into it? And um, so, so I have, and for me, holistic health is number one, oriented more towards natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's holistic, complete 360 degrees from the inside out. So more, more natural and uh, complete, including, you know, social, emotional skills, mental well-being and other things like that. I, you and I have had a lot of conversation in the past on um, the power of wholesome, organic, sustainable food, yes. nutrition, cooking. And I, I know, um, again, you're, you've been a lot more focused on this in the past, let's say, five years or so. Um, describe how your food philosophy and decision making around what to eat has changed over the years um, and maybe what has been the biggest nutritional game changer or changers for you. Well, that's a great question, because for uh, many years I lectured on sport nutrition, uh, but I have other considerations that I never lectured on whatsoever and weren't even part of my thought pattern then. Um, my main consideration now that's new that I adopted is how is our, not the nutrient, the nutrients of our food that we would study in a nutrition class, but how is our food treated? What's added to it? Um, and you know, is it a, a, a GMO genetically modified food so it can withstand more herbicides and pesticides and survive? And then what does that mean for us in taking that in? Factory farming, tortured meat, the stress response, and are we eating uh, even spiritually, energetically? Are we really putting that into our body? So my understanding became: I like to say um, that, I'll, like, I'll I'll answer about your your most intimate relationship. People are like, "Great, we're going to talk about sex," <laughs> and uh, and for someone that might be with their baby or their children. 
uh, things like that. But our most intimate relationship unquestionably is the food that we eat because we put it in our mouth, we chew it, we digest it and its cells become our cells and they, they connect. Mm -hmm. So putting something, you know, um, being careful with where this conversation is going to say it in the right way, but, but you or I would have rules around how close someone can stand to us. Who's allowed to touch our arm and other rules around that and boundaries, of course, but food we put inside of us mm -hmm. and it becomes us. And so many people give no thought to that. It's mm -hmm. a very intimate relationship, understanding the intimacy of that and how, how is our food treated and what is added to it? And then how does that affect us? How does it affect the earth? It's kind of a me to we. What I eat affects you, Sam. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's, that's, I'm going to think about my taste buds, but uh, I want to think about you too. And how is my consumption habits affecting you and everyone else? Yeah, I, I love your point about the intimacy of food. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to take it one step further as, you know, somebody who loves to cook, who has studied culinary arts. Um, that to be the person who is presenting the food that someone is then going to put into their their mouth that you've you know yes. you've thoughtfully prepared this you've seasoned it you've thought through the sustainability the healthfulness of it etc I mean it's just it's a really um, it's very intimate for me to yes. feed people I love I mean it's it it means a lot and uh, I, I love I love that you use the word thoughtful. That's, yeah. that's a key word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I could go on and on about food, but I have a zillion questions here for you. So right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move along to another topic that you and I have talked about over the years. Um, yes. And that's um, physical literacy. We've shared concerned, concerns about what, what we've observed to be sort of lack of phys physical literacy among fitness professionals. What are your thoughts on this? And how do you think we can instill better movement skills within our own ranks, since these are the folks leading others and teaching form? Yeah, it, it has been a concern of people coaching, training, instructing, and then the, the clients and what clients are receiving and what our industry is focused on, what we're marketing. And um, it's, a, it's a complex uh, challenge. I think the number one, uh, the simple part is this body is, uh, this is our human vehicle mm -hmm. that, you know, this body carries us and, you know, our mind and our spirit and our soul and so on. And uh, of course, um, you know, like many people have, I could be uh, paralyzed and in a wheelchair and I, I could create my most abundant and fulfilling chapter uh, with that, you know, and there's, so there's, and there's other many attributes, uh, someone's kindness, their intellect that aren't, uh, directly related to movement. However, overall for 8 billion people, most of this, uh, movement is life and this is our human vehicle. So if this body is pain-free and confident, and it's kind of my all-terrain vehicle, and you invite me to do anything, I can say, if I want to join you in friendship, I can say, yes. That would be great. And if my body stops working, I might have to say, oh, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't. Mm -hmm. um, so our world expands or shrinks based on our movement skills and how well we can do. We find joy in movement, success in what we do and so on. So it, it affects everything. And um, I don't know, Sandy, our, well, our industry as we know, or those that monetize our industry have uh, marketed fitness to consumers as weight loss through restriction and exercise as being a punishment for eating um, and very heavily on appearance. And I respect everyone's goals. Someone could come to me and they want to get rid of some cellulite and they want to lose 30 pounds and they do want to look better. You know, that's all good but that gets them into exercise. And, you know, we, we peel back layers, any trainer, any coach that peels back layers of their clients keeps asking, but why, why deeper, why deeper, why it comes down to everyone wants to experience positive emotions. I'm a father. I've got two daughters. I'm not going to the beach because I need to take my shirt off and I'm 
insecure because I'm 80 pounds overweight and they want to kick a soccer ball around on the beach and my knees hurt and my, you know, I don't have the strength and I have pain, but I might say that I want to lose weight. I might say that I want to look a certain way, but what I really want is positive experiences with my daughters in that activity. So we, so we feel love and joy and happiness. It's about trainers and coaches are so powerful because we deliver positive emotions and positive experiences for people. And so the shift consumers don't even understand what our industry is about for the most part. Um, so there, there's a massive shift in the public space and professionally, I think. Uh, and there are, when you go to an idea conference, there's things on that are related to physique. There's things related to weight loss. There's things related to appearance, sport performance, function, rehab. Idea does a great job checking all those boxes. Um, but then the marketing from that is uh, usually based around appearance and weight loss. And the consumers... Uh, average perception of the industry is that um so coming out and focusing right away on active coaching for movement skills physical literacy as the foundation to your program design you can still change appearance and lose weight but set someone up to move skillfully so it's a it's a skill it's a movement skill that would that would be a, a, a massive change yeah you know the other point um, I wanted to bring up about physical literacy is that it really begets confidence in people. And yes, so, yes. you know, you, you can gain a certain swagger when you, when you do some good skaters or you learn some new yeah. choreography in a class um, to be able to, you know, have confidence in your body to perform that way. Um, and then it just ripples out into so many other aspects of your life. You have, if you have confidence in your movement skills and in your the strength of your body, you're just going to be a more confident person in general, I think, and and that just ripples out into the world as, you know, your demeanor is probably happier and yeah. kinder because you're feeling good about yourself. Hundred percent. That's where your happy swagger comes from. All the great <laughs> functional training you do in San Diego, yeah, which is awesome. Um, but. I, you know, it's, um, and, and I'll say, cause it's very, very popular. When, when we started running our high performance athlete camps long, long ago, um, small group training didn't exist. And all we did was small group training cause we're training teams. And from a team sport environment, when you have even just, just uh, individual athletes come, you group them together as a team and you train as a team. Yep. So I, I trained small group in team type training for over 10 years before I ever did a one-on-one -on -one session. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, coming from that way, we were focused around movement. It was anaerobic based because it's sport, anaerobic and strength. But so that's leading to HIT training. And HIT is very popular of trainers in the industry for clients, and it does get some great results. But you're also taking people who don't move well and putting them in an environment where they're gonna train under fatigue to get the biggest metabolic blast, mm -hmm. to burn fat, to get fit. And so they bring in poor movement skills and they're training fatigue. And so that's even worse. And so my heart says that anything gets someone moving is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Today, anything that gets someone moving is a good thing. That's from my heart. My brain says that's not correct. How we move. How we move matters because you, myself, and three of the listeners, we could have five people in a group and we're all going to do the same program. Um, but how we each do those exercises, right? There's no exercise in the world that improves the human body. There's no exercise. It's how you move inside the exercise, how you do it. So someone's um, going to get no results. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to get injured someone's over time is going to develop pain and dysfunction myself maybe i do some things well and i get a little bit of results and you do things meticulously and you get excellent results all with the same exercises and same program so how we move and how we coach people to move and if do we have that ability uh and i'd say overall that you know that's not a common ability it could it would be a great addition 
And it's not, and same as your food, I would use your food prep for your friends and, and family. I would use the word thoughtful. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's this thoughtful movement, right? And, uh, and that would be a good way to the quality of improving our movement skills. I don't, uh, I don't think weight loss should happen in the gym necessarily. If we improve movement skills, I'll have a human body that works. Then I'll go and live a more active life with that confidence that you uh, emphasize. And in my lifestyle, that's where my sustainable weight loss or body uh, composition happens. In the gym, I'm getting the body that's capable to do that. That's right. my philosophy. My opinion is one person. Yeah, you know, in the past couple of years, I, I've noticed that um, when I watch some of the mobility stuff that you're doing um, on online, on social media and, and yes. such, um, I mean, you, you certainly have been a champion of explosive link strength stuff, but I've loved that you've kind of slowed things down and I see you doing things really deliberately with Vipers and super yep. slow-mo and just realizing Wow. I mean, just the control, the muscle control it takes to do some of the moves that you're doing. Um, it's just been it's been really fun to watch and um, enlightening. And I find myself just kind of slowing down in the gym sometimes and just enjoying mm-hmm. that process of, of feeling my body move and be successful and trying to understand what's linked to what. And um, I don't know, I, I think if you if you can slow yourself down a bit, to yes. pick apart what you're doing to dissect it. Um, it, it can, you can really kind of nerd out on it <laughs> in a fun way. In a great way that's empowering. Yeah. That flow and that rhythm and linked, you know, it's linked strength mm-hmm. uh, for movement. And then when you truly load it up, so people understand when you're, if you have a significant load that you're lifting and it's maybe a dumbbells in your hands, it's physics. Your arm is your lever connected to your trunk. Um, so the further that is like, there's, there's easy ways to lift. Most people in the health club are trying to improve, but they're finding the easiest way to do an exercise. And when you, the way to improve is to find the most difficult way to do it. And fast is easy and slow is hard Right. when you're loaded up. And because you, when you're moving fast, you can uh, hide weak links in the body and use momentum. And when you move slow, you take away momentum, expose weak links. It becomes very difficult. So you take a low, any load or resistance you're lifting and move it slowly through a a whole body move. Your brain is on fire. It Mm -hmm. it enjoys coming to the party to figure that out. Your computations may increase over a thousand percent. Same with your muscle activation. Um, so, So slow is hard, fast is easy. And there you go. Right on. So while we're still on physical literacy, I wanted to ask yeah. you one more question. Um, in terms yes. of uh, physical literacy among kids and adolescents, what do you think FitPro should be doing more or less of to ensure that children get wired properly? Um, thus, you know, laying down that foundation for a fully active yeah. lifestyle, muscle memory, all of that, that good stuff that helps carry the vehicle throughout the lifespan. Yeah, yeah, great. I would say um, the thoughtful, conscious, uh, linked movement from toe to fingertip, we say. what's ha- Are they connecting their feet to their hands? Um, of course, younger kids, we need to keep it engaged, gamified uh, aspects of play in there. But like sport, sport has play. Sport is fun. But there's all kinds of rules and structure in sport. And the rules and structure are what make it fun and playful. So play isn't just like, you know, anything goes. Um, uh, excellent play has rules and structures that make the play meaningful and um, in there, just like sport does. So I, I would say um, a lot of self challenges and collaboration and challenge with other participants, but really focus from head to toe and movement skill uh, in there um, and the, qual- the quality of movement uh, on there and that, that would set them up well. Mm, great, great stuff, thank you. Um, so now we're gonna step outside. All um, right. I yeah. usually catch up with you and Bruno, the handsome husky, yes. through the magic of social media. Um, the two of you are often hiking in the rainforest, playing in the rain. Um, I know you love going out in the rain. 
um, overlooking a breathtaking Vancouver fjord, for instance. Um, tell me about the role nature plays in your life to sustain you, and then describe some of the ways um, fit pros and coaches can help clients to unlock the power and beauty of nature. Excellent question. And um, our earth being on fire this uh, past year, um, you know, hopefully we understand the attention uh, on that part. Um, I think every number one, um, as a note to add in there and then dialing in on your question, I I believe this is a human right. Uh, Every child in the world not only has the right to safety and education, uh, but they have the right to clean water. They have the right uh, to uh, fresh, clean air. They have the right to food that has nourishment from nutrient-rich soils uh, and so on. It's a basic uh, right. If I'm religious of any site or spiritual of any kind, um, probably my entity, I believe in created the earth. <laughs> so it's a, and so, you know, that is the ultimate church to show respect and reverence for. So why we don't do that is, uh, inconsistent perhaps with our beliefs, uh, in there. And then, so here we are, we're going into nature. Well, one quick fact, did you know that trees in a forest communicate with each other through their vibration, through the roots in the ground? There's just so much it's it's so intelligent and there's so much that we don't even talk about or learn about because i, I don't know we're finding new technology with more buttons to push or some clever human <laughs> thing so um everything's awesome but uh there's not there's we say there's no machine in the world uh, the only machine in the world not fully understood by anyone is the human body our human body is more complex than the technology we're using today and uh, there's no human clever enough to replace the earth and our food and water that, that nourishes us and so on. So your brain on nature, Sandy, the, uh, is very happy from the vibrational level. And there's just the forest and the mountains are alive. They're so alive. They're so healthful. So in many different ways, um, from how our mindset is in nature, getting, you know, getting getting grounded and mm-hmm. elevated, our emotions, our cells are all positively affected. We can take you and I and uh, measure ourselves, do a cell biopsy and measure ourselves, go into nature for a couple hours and come out, our cell and do the same, our cells have changed, they've improved. Mm-hmm. So from uh, our, our brain's ability, our social emotional skills, the healthfulness, um, so many benefits in nature, For me, a lot of it is also symbolism. You know, if you think of a tall towering tree in a cathedral, a forest or a mountain, I'm a big believer in symbolism. And the symbolism for people listening is uh, uh, it could be a a metal that you or something you inherited from your grandfather, something you hold in your hand. It it can be something giant like a, a pillar or something that you look at. But it's anything you you can attach meaning to that you can relate that to that. So mountains to me are aspirational. You know, we climb up and uh, and then of course there's valleys in between and so on. And so the words I affix to the elements of nature are positive things that, you know, bring me strength and self-belief and so on. I can go on for about uh, 20 hours on the efficacy and benefits of nature. Um, I'll, I'll turn it back to you and I'll answer more if there's other things on that. Um, so suffice to say the the, the benefits are, are everything. Uh, for me, if there's a spiritual connection um, and a really chance to go in, it's the chance to not have te- technology is amazing. I love it. Use it all the time. I go into nature. It's the chance not to have that. Mm-hmm. And it's the chance. It's, it's you, your feet in the soil. We know motion creates positive emotion Nature creates positive emotion. You put the two together. It's a chance to be really not just go in. And I don't always, I used to just hike and run at my fastest pace. We go in, I go in at night in a rainstorm with a headlamp running through the dark in the rain. And it's just, it's so raw and genuine. You get, you know, you get really uh, conviction from that. If you're willing to go do that, you'll probably go to the gym on a normal day. But in, uh, 
in nature on a run or a hike now, I might have my best pace ever, my best time. I might see something that's uh, amazingly uh, beautiful environment by a waterfall or a view. I'll, I'll interrupt my best ever workout and stop and stretch and meditate and appreciate, feel grateful, be present. And those, those things that we can forget about in a busy life, um, in, in my opinion, everywhere I travel in the world, there's awesome people, lots of awesome people um, uh, do nice things for folks. But just the general, whoever at least has the loudest voice in the platforms on news and social media, it's also a little bit negative out there. Maybe that's just the percentage that are projecting the most. But I feel, you know, I, I, I don't think we can ever go wrong by aspiring to be kinder. For wellness of our body and mind and emotions, uh, spiritual elevation, and to be kinder. I, I think it would help the world to be, I think COVID was an opportunity to shift to healthy, sustainable, be kinder, be respectful, uh, and things like that. And I think nature uh, facilitates and nourishes those type of attributes that I think the world would be served by whether we agree with that or not as individuals we sure are and uh it's a conduit to happiness and nature is the most you know beautiful well ventilated um free gem in the world for one thing um you go outside and and engage your eyes with the trees and see all that green and it actually you know it turns on your t cells your immunity cells in your body yes yes um, yes. And, you. you know, I have a couple of great memories with you. Um, when I visited Vancouver, you were you've been kind enough to host me and my husband on a couple of hikes. Um, yes. We've we've done at least a part of the grass grind in North Van. Yeah. And uh, we did Squamish Chief one time, which has one of the most amazing views of of the I don't know if it's the ocean or fjords or what were what were we looking at from up there? We were looking at, so those to visualize it on one side of this mountain is a sheer rock face and people travel from all over the world to climb it. And then up the backside, you can hike through the forest. It's very steep, come out on the top and you're overlooking Howe Sound Inlet, which is the Pacific Ocean. Okay. Same, I'm on the same ocean that you are with San Diego. <laughs> You've got the great surf. We've got the inlets and fjords that are a little bit calmer because they're bookended by sheer mountains. But we're looking at um, rainforest mountains and the Pacific Ocean up the inlet from that view at the top. So super rewarding uh, vista view. Just a, a really rich, fun memory for me. And, yeah. you know, thanks again for showing us that. It, it was awesome. I, I think I remember just trying to keep up to you. Oh, no, I don't think that was the case at all. <laughs> So, Pete, brain training was another bullet on your list. Um, yeah. I've, I've always known you to be a knowledge seeker. You've always studied a, a really wide variety of material. Um, what is your philosophy on brain training current day? And what are you working on to strengthen your own brain power? Yeah, brain power. Well, if you we talked about uh, kids and physical literacy earlier. And if you look at all of us when we were little going through our growth and maturation, you know, our our skeletal system, our bones get longer, then we're a little older, we have the right circulating hormones for our, to get muscle girth and that kind of strength. But before all that, there's a peak rate of neural maturation, meaning you know our, our, our brain development and all the neural uh, pathways uh, to all our parts of our body. So that's all about communication to help orchestrate the body and brain together. And we, we see that amazing uh, development but then later on, as we're older, um, we kind of forget about that. And the brain does orchestrate the body. Um, plus, it comes; it can come back to kindness. You know, there's elements of our perspective. What lens do we see through uh, the skillfulness controlling the body um, and brain power? Wow. Like I, I've had about uh, probably eight or 10 concussions. Plus, I've had heavy radiation to my brain. Um, everyone listening could already tell that. <laughs> and, uh, Hardly. <laughs> you know, so brain health for me has been a focus of both. How do we give kids an excellent start? Um, how do I help athletes win on the world stage in the Olympics and professionally being more skillful because their brain orchestrates that? 
Um, what does that mean from health standpoint? Uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, brain injuries, what can, how repairable and restorative is it? And, you know, goodness, if I can think a little bit better versus the opposite in anything in my life, um, I'll I would certainly take that. I'm sure we can all think of mistakes we've made in the past or even how you show up and, whoops, I reacted poorly. And, you know, how would I approach that again? Our brain development is just endless. It's not so much knowledge. It's how you think again. Mm -hmm. um, so that for me, um, because of what I've been through, I, I'm really paying attention to, you know, when I'm 110, which I'm aiming for, um, you know, I hope by 70, my brain is still working and goodness, you know, this can't be the best my brain can work. Can we develop it? I can develop my bicep. I can improve my movement skill. I can improve my, my lung capacity. You know, certainly I can improve my brain. So my focus is, uh, again, health and longevity and, and peak performance. And what, what then helps uh, help our brain restore? What helps it improve? What helps its cognitive performance? Mm -hmm. And just in terms of, of knowledge seeking, I, for my own curiosity, what books are you reading right now? Well, I think a, an, an easy read that's interesting, that's science-based, uh, that I did read and am rereading um, is Your Brain on Nature. Okay. And it's kind of, you get through it and it's kind of like, well, a lot of that was common sense, but people aren't really following the common sense. So it's good to read and it's science-based. But it it, uh, it affects um, how, how our it talks about how our brain, the science of how our brain is affected from movement in nature. Um, and my we, we talked earlier in the podcast, Sandy, about um, the I mentioned the function launching the industry's first functional training certifications, and it was predicated on integrating balance, strength, movement, core in every inch of every rep, every second of every drill for the effect of more muscle activation, more skillful movement, and more brain computations. So all of the exercise that I formulate is predicated on, does this invite the brain? Does it force the brain to come to the exercise party more? Mm -hmm. You and I go for a walk in beautiful San Diego. Our brain doesn't even really need to be there. We can be having a conversation and laughing and Look at the gym. There's, you go to a gym and there's televisions on the wall yeah. to distract the brain from the exercise. That's weird. And <laughs> that is, so that's that weird. And, and then, and maybe, maybe it's okay, but you're doing, now you're doing something, you're running at a slow pace or a walk pace. So you've already learned how to do that. Your brain doesn't need to be uh, present. You've automated it. But I, I believe exercise the majority of my exercise, I want to be in a cognitive state where my brain has to think its way through and communicate more with the body. Improvements about communication. And so the more we can structure exercise to not only invite, but force the brain uh, to make many more computations, I think that helps our intellectual ability and learning ability in school. Um, and again, back to the, the movement, uh, the movement skill. So my uh, focus to bring that to a close and pass is the, the repairability of the brain, sustaining health, what's our potential of it, and what's the role in exercise? I think exercise is the most powerful way to improve your brain Yeah. Uh, in, in how it thinks and its robustness and so on. And then you're going to go to school to memorize what you learn, but it's not, that's not actually you know, the key thing about your brain. Um, can I say quickly, there's like, and you look at dementia and Alzheimer's, one of the preventions, which is a good thing, is for people to do crossword puzzles. Mm -hmm. Well, sitting thinking and holding a pencil and writing something down helps your brain against dementia and so on. What with doing something similar, but now you're moving your whole body in a more complex movement task, right? I think everything, it's just amplifying yeah. the, pot the potential of exercise. Uh, is amazing on that side. I love what you did there by putting together the last two points we talked about in the book that you just reread. So it's your brain on nature. Is that what you said? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that was a great way to sum up that conversation.
Um, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and yes. um, go. We're going to head overseas to China now. Um, Pre-COVID-19, I know you spent a lot of time in China. I mean, a, a number of years, actually, back and forth, back and forth, working yep. with the Olympic Committee on conditioning programs for Chinese athletes. Uh, catch us up on where things are with your work in China and where you see it going post-pandemic. Now, in, in China, uh, I partnered with the China Olympic program leading into the years leading into Rio uh, for summer and Korea for winter to help modernize uh, how they train and rehab and then place strength and conditioning coaches and physiotherapists and different specialists that were there full time. So I was there each month for that. Um, as COVID hit, um, people were either going to be super locked down there or, or leave. So um, most of us went back to our, our countries and that involvement you know, essentially ended during COVID, not logistically feasible. Uh, they've been focused in, uh, in Tokyo with the delayed Olympics and the, you know, the way China is and the way uh, probably USA is at the very top level of Olympics. The first day that they were back in China, um, the, the head of the Olympic program uh, gave me a call on a Sunday here, hmm. looking ahead already. They were just, they had great success in Tokyo. They were celebrating. There was a nice call about their success there, which I appreciated. And I value the opportunity to congratulate them verbally, uh, given COVID that I'm not there. And I got invited back to, you know, resume that process. And we concluded that January, I'm not traveling this year. I'm, a, I'm <laughs> living local for the first time and keeping it simple and I'm focused quietly working on my, my game plan for what's next. You gotta, what you focus on grows. I don't wanna get distracted. But January is the earliest that that would, my travel might go smoothly and it's predictable and it's consistent. And so where that's uh, looking, Sandy, is I'll, I'll go back to China, all things uh, working out COVID wise in January, take another look ahead and, and consider helping them out. Well, Pete, congratulations on the success that the Chinese athletes um, had in Tokyo. That's, I'm sure, in large part to some of the conditioning programs that you put into place there. Um, that's got to be really gratifying. It's, it's gratifying. I'm happy for them. I'm also very respectful that, you know, there's lots of people involved, such as just their parents who gave them the DNA sure. and every coach and every coach and every experience they've had since they were six years old. So I like to say, you know, I myself and my team, we chip in and hope to like take them the extra level, give them an edge, sustain their career. But there's, you know, we're, we're a small, even though it's a big role, we're a small part of their long-term uh, development. Well, you're always so humble, but congratulations on that. Thank you. I appreciate it. While we're on the Olympics, um, in terms of Olympic level training, I know you have yes. some thoughts to share about long-term athlete development. Mm -hmm. What's on your mind about that today? And what can fit pros and coaches draw from your experience in this realm? Uh, I would say right away uh, for trainers and coaches to know that if they haven't been exposed in that world, what they see on Instagram as exercise is not how athletes train, uh, number one. So it might be all good for who it's for or what's going on, uh, you know, what they do see. But in the athlete world, it, it is more, uh, it's, it's a long-term plan where you're layering the bricks. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, work, I'm working on some, some attribute here because that sets me up to work on this. And when I work on this, I need this. So it's very methodical and periodized and planned, step one, two, three, four, five, long-term. Um, and it may, you know, we're integrating phys physical physiology, movement skill, mindset, sports skill, technical skills. There's a lot of things to integrate that need to match and be cohesive in that long-term plan. Um, and just that sometimes our athletes, we might have puke buckets out. Like we literally might have buckets. They're going to work so hard, they're probably going to throw up. Mm. But, uh, but a lot of the times it's not about your heart rate and how much you sweat and so on. There's other workouts. You're just, you're developing attributes that are important in the body. And so the intensity level might be much lower um, on that side. And and that it's, a, it's that long-term 
thoughtful plan. So we would know generally, what are we going to do in six months? And what does that mean for the fifth month, the fourth month out, the third month? Everything must uh, layer up. But then you also have to be flexible enough to, you know, the unknown, the unknown happens, right? And so you're you're always flexible. I always say, I don't know if I've ever implemented a a planned workout exactly how it's planned for anyone because you're reading the athlete on the day. Um, But we don't follow like a wad, a workout of the day where I just pull out some exercises out of my pocket, throw them on a whiteboard and we crank it out. That might be great for adult clientele and get great results. Um, so it's uh, much, much more, pl- much more planned mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in how how you layer abilities long term, um, and lot, lots of patience because you know you're you might be aiming four years out. Sure. Well, I mean, patience on the coach's part, on everybody's part, the athlete. I think especially, yes. it's probably sometimes hard to see. You know, you you have to communicate a lot, I would imagine, with your athletes just so they understand this is a long road and, you know, we're we're not going to see results overnight kind of thing. This is all part of a master plan. And um, but I would think for the athlete, especially, it would be maybe kind of a frustrating process sometimes to get in there and just, you know, we want to perform as athletes. Right. And so to not be to to be like in a tapering phase or to be so beaten down by training that you hear you're not even close to where you want to be performance wise. Um, no, it's really, really well said. And, and, you know, um, if an athlete is truly passionate about their sport, they love their sport and they want to uh, devote to it and excel in it, they, they can keep motivated for training. If someone is in their sport because they were identified through talent identification when they're eight years old, that they're custom made to be a swimmer, but they've never really been passionate about swimming. It's just mm-hmm. what they're made for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more difficult uh, in, in that uh, side. Um, a- another consideration is with, you know, the Olympics are every four years. And of course there's world championships and national events and so on, but the competitions are the important competition competitions are spread far out so you can really focus on development long term and do the right things um but in say north america professional sports like uh um, ice hockey or basketball you know they're playing multiple competitions a week Mm -hmm. and so the opportunity for long-term development is much more challenging because it's just important to win right now and (laughs) that takes precedent yeah Yep. I can see that. So Pete, as we come to a close here, I was hoping that first of all, you could let folks know how they can get in touch with you to follow you on social, to gain inspiration from you the same way I do. Um, So please start by giving us any website info as well as your social handles. And then um, I would love it if you could leave listeners with a parting thought about our industry um, or you know, just a, an inspirational me- message that you want to send us all off with. All right. Um, well, I think, I think an easy way to connect in these days, on uh, Instagram, uh, coach Peter twist with a, a good positive uplifting community there and lots of my community by how they engage. I learn from them. So it's a, it's a great, uh, energy and learning environment there. Uh, website, I can say that we're pretty close, but the, your your audience here would be the first to know. Um, the website is twisteducation.ca, and it will be launched in October, and you're the first to know. Fantastic. Um, and that'll host me personally and, and what I'm bringing to the world, and as well, um, a new era of uh, digital education. Amazing. Um, yeah, so I think those that simplifies it uh, with where they can find me. Um, I'll just say, I, th- I think we're going to do something that you haven't seen in the industry, or at least it presented in the way it'll be presented. So for some people, they might roll their eyes at it and it's not for them. And, and some, someone else or some other organization is a lot of people, I think they're going to find what they've been waiting for. 
um, or what resonates uh, with them. So uh, we're excited to unveil that in a couple months. Very cool. Yeah. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to end with um, a mantra. Just there's, there's no limits to what you can achieve. Like there really are no limits other than what we impose on ourselves. There's lots of difficulties and challenges, but no limits. So be resilient, be adaptable. Um, I'll, I'll remind folks that upon COVID, lots of stuff coming to a halt. Uh, I, I normally just keep going. I didn't. I got the wind knocked out of me. You know, this was devastating. Um, plus, I, I, I thought it would be valuable to pause and observe. And before I jump in with both feet hitting the ground running, let, let's see where things are going mm -hmm. and what's happening and get information. Uh, and I can restore and regain my energy. And so it took, took, me, it took me a while to get back up on my feet with the zest you need to really go for it. And I honored myself with that self-care uh, to give that. And then here I am, I'm ready to rock and create a great life chapter and help set people up for success in ways they need and impact their career and their clients. Um, but sharing that from a, an authenticity with people, with that being said, be resilient, be adaptable, there's no limits to what you can achieve. Peter Twist, you there's no one who compares to you. I feel so energized by your positive light today. I'm so grateful for your time, your insights. Um, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Sandy. And uh, um, thank you. I'm a big fan of yours. And <laughs> I'm just waiting till uh, I can, a plane can land or I can jump out and parachute in for a wonderful, helpful, holistic, organic meal, breaking bread and friendship and good spirit. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that on my radar until we can sit together and, and enjoy that in beautiful San Diego. I will too, Pete. Thank you so much. That'll, that'll be a really fun day. A very joyous day Absolutely. indeed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you again and take care of yourself. Love you. Yeah. I love you too. And all the best to everyone who's joined us. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Well, that winds up our conversation with Peter Twist. Check the show notes for details about getting in touch with Pete and for any other resources mentioned on today's show. If you're not an IDEA member, learn more about how IdeaFit Plus membership is truly the mastermind asset that fit pros everywhere are choosing to push their careers forward. If we can answer any questions about how you can enjoy all of IDEA's incredible benefits and career tools, please visit ideafit.com or call our inspired service team at 1-800-999-4332 extension 7. This is Sandy Webster signing off. Until next time, stay positive and keep inspiring the world with your special magic. Don't ever forget that you make a huge difference in the lives of others and that idea is here to support you in this critical purpose. Thanks for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place. The Idea Fit Pro Show is part of the Outside Inc. podcasting network. Many thanks to our executive producer, Jordan Leeds, and our engineer and editor, Mike Hilding. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Reproduction without permission is strictly prohibited.